principles from the Christmas story. And uh, so we're going to talk about that today, and, and you'll get started off right. Hallelujah. We'll start this Christmas season right. Amen. Uh, you know, there are a lot of wonderful principles in the Christmas story, principles of faith that are applicable to our lives year-round. So much of the time, we just read Luke chapter 1 and 2. We only read it at Christmas time, unless we're doing a read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year thing or something like that. And uh, there's a lot of tradition surrounding the birth of Jesus. But I want to tell you today, it's more than just a story. It's more than just a, a, a story that reminds us of the birth of Jesus. We can learn from their lives. We can learn from the lives of the people that participated in this wonderful story, this wonderful event. We can learn from their faith. They were men and women of faith. And we can take the principles of life that we find in that part of the Bible and we can apply it to our lives. Amen? And so turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love the Word. We love the Word. We're going to talk about John the Baptist this morning. I don't think I ever in my whole life have heard a, pre a sermon on John the Baptist. Hallelujah. But today you're going to hear a sermon about John the Baptist. And he was an awesome man. And let's begin reading. Uh, hallelujah. Praise God. In verse 5. Hallelujah. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias and of the course of Abia and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth and they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were very, now well stricken in years and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season." And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men." And then I want you to look in um, 
Okay, uh, verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her and it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father and his mother answered and said not so but he shall be called John and they said unto her there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name and they made signs to his father how he would have him called and he asked for a writing table and wrote saying his name is John and they marveled all and his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed and he spake and praised God and fear came on all that dwelt around about them and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea and all they that heard Heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. We won't read any further than that. We know the prophecy goes on further than that. But we want to just start looking at some things in uh, his, the, the parents of John the Baptist and then in John the Baptist's life. First of all, we know that both John the Bab both Zacharias excuse me, and Elizabeth were from the tribe of Levi. Uh, they were in the right tribe and to be priests. You had to be, in order to be a priest, to go in and minister in the uh, temple, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. And they were both from the Levitical priesthood. So they were genealogically uh, qualified to be the parents of John the Baptist. Uh, they fulfilled the requirements to be the parents of John the Baptist, not only genealogically, but also they qualified from a spiritual standpoint. The Bible says here we read that they were both righteous. Now, you don't need to get that confused with the righteousness that you are. That does not mean they were saved. They weren't saved. No one, no, no, no person uh, in the Gospels or the Old Testament was saved. Jesus had to come and pay the price of redemption before anyone could be saved. But what it means is that they were right. They were in right standing with God. They were right. They were righteous. They were right according to the time they lived in. Had they lived in our time in order to be right with God, you have to have received Jesus. But in their time, there was no way to do that. And so you had, there was another qualification for being right. And they were right. They were righteous. They were walking righteous. They were blameless. The word said they were blameless. I want you to know that blameless is different than being sinless. Blameless is different than sinless. They had a sin nature. They had not been born again. You have don't have a sin nature. You have been born again. But they had a sin nature. But they were blameless in the eyes of God. Because they were, I'll tell you why. They were seeking God. They were receptive to God. They were walking in the commandments and the ordinances. They were walking in everything that was available to them in that day. It's so important that we walk in everything that's available to us in this day, which is different than what was available to them in that day. But they walked in all that was available to them in that day. And so God said, they're righteous, they're blameless before me. Amen. And so that qualified them to be the parents of this important man. John the Baptist was such an important man. And I don't think we've actually had that revelation before or known it. They walked in the light that was available. Nobody, nobody has ever been qualified for God to use. 
Nobody yet has ever been qualified for God to use. Everything God does, he does by grace. Amen? None of us are perfect in our own self. We're perfect on the inside. We've been perfectly recreated. So our spirit man is perfect. But in our flesh and in our soul, none of us are perfect. And none of us deserve the things of God. God gives us the blessings of God by grace. We don't earn them. But, so we don't deserve the things of God, but we are privy to them uh, because of His grace, because of His mercy. But you know, there are things you can do to make yourself a candidate for the things of God. You can, there's some certain things that you can do that will cause you to get God's attention. One of the things that drew me to this message this morning was something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night. I remember uh, saying this, and I had not ever thought of it before, is you've got to get God's attention if you want Him to move in your life. And that's true. So many people, and I think I actually said this that night, so many people never get God's attention. And you have to get God's attention. And there's some things you can do that will get God's attention. And we're going to talk about those things this morning. God wants to bless every single person, but there are things that people do that stop the purposes of God in their lives. And then there are things that, do, that people do that open wide the doors and get God's attention and cause the Holy Spirit to rush in with His grace and mercy. That doesn't mean they earn it. It just means that they, they prepare themselves and they act in such a way that they open themselves to God. Amen? Hallelujah. If you want God to intervene in your life, if you want to be a flow-through for God to use like Zacharias and Elizabeth were, then there are some things you can do. Uh, first of all, you can soften your heart. And this is, I'm just going to give you a few little things and I'm going to give you some other things in a minute. But one of the things that Zacharias and Elizabeth is a softened heart toward God, is seeking God, turning your heart toward God. And I like to do that daily and even all throughout the day to just take a minute and turn my heart up to God. I mean, I actually, if I can tell you, you know, I believe my spirit man is right here. And the Bible says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So the spirit man's right here in the vicinity of the belly. Hallelujah. The spirit, the, the spirit of Christ, the throne of God in your life. And so I turn my heart up and I just turn my heart up to God throughout the day. It, you know, you can pray and never really ever touch God. Go through the motions of praying, saying prayer words, but you've really not turned your heart up. And it's important that we turn our heart up toward God. Tune in, so to speak. Listen in. Uh, just kind of touch God with our heart. You don't have to even say anything to do that. You can do that right now as you're sitting in your seat. Just kind of, mm, just release your heart up towards God. And uh, make a place for Him in your life. Care, about, care more about what he thinks of you than what others think of you. Those are things that will, that will cause you to be used of God. We know that Elizabeth was barren. The Bible says she was barren, that she had no children. And you know, it also says that at this point, they were beyond childbearing age. It says they were well stricken in years. Hallelujah. Verse 7 is where it says that. When God wants to use you, a lot of times He waits until, uh, until you're utterly helpless to help yourself. He, he, he likes to use those that, that, uh, that um, He likes to intervene and use those people that uh, are by, beyond the point of helping themselves. 
So don't ever give up. Don't ever give up on God doing something in your life because he, he loves to come in when you can't do anything. Oh, hallelujah. So here, let me give you some things this morning that will make you more receptive to God intervening in your life. Number one, and we're going to look in verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. In verse 8 and 9, it talks about that Zacharias was just doing what he was called and anointed to do. One of the things that makes God and gets God's attention may seem so simple to you. It's just doing the things you know to do. Just doing the things you know to do. Sometimes people are looking for a big splash or something. But we just do the things we know to do. He had been praying for a child for a long time. And you know, sometimes we get so intent on a miracle or I've got, God's got to do something in my life that we put everything on hold until we get that or till, and we're just not worth anything until we get that God, what we're, what we're believing God for. You, you know, like you just can't function when you're seeking God or something. But you can function while you're seeking God. And you know, when you're doing what you know to do, just day in and day out, God will find you. God will find you. And He will uh, uh, come to where you are and find you. So do what you know to do. Be about what God's called you to do. Be using your gifts and talents for the kingdom. And it will cause God to see you. And it will cause God to find you. Here's what the Holy Spirit said to me as I was preparing this message, just spoke to my heart. And he said, when people are being faithful, especially in adversity, it makes me want to bring some of their reward early. I thought that was neat because immediately when, you know, this is Christmas time, you know, when your kids, you know, let's say you have some presents all wrapped up. And I've seen parents do this before. Where the, they just, you know, the love welled up in their heart for their kids. Maybe their kids was just acting so good that day. And they just were like, you can unwrap one of your presents early. Now, I wasn't much to do that. But Eric said it never happened. <laughs> it never happened. Maybe you were never good. Maybe that was the... <laughs> no, no, no. But he doesn't know. It actually does. Think, doing for him and doing for my kids does well up in my heart. And, you know, maybe it's not opening a present early, but I don't know what, but when I hand them $20, that's God welling up in my heart thinking, I love my kids, you know. I want to be a blessing. I want to do something for them. Or we go shopping and I pay instead of, you know, instead of them letting them pay and things like that. And so uh, when we're faithful and when we're doing what God's called us to do, he's, he's like that. He's like that. He just, it wells up in his heart. And he says, oh, I want to do something for them. I want to do something early. You know, we've got a reward in heaven, but he wants to get it to us early. Hallelujah. Let's let him do that. Amen. So serving God gets his attention. God doesn't reward people, lazy people that are sitting around waiting for a miracle. So we need to be doing what we know to do. There's a lot of faith. There's a lot of faith in getting up and doing what you've got to do. There, you may, you not, may not think of yourself as a big faith person, but just getting up in the morning and doing what you've got to do is a lot of faith. Just getting up in the morning and getting on it. That's faith, folks, and it gets God's attention.
Just getting up in the morning and getting going and getting the house cleaned up and getting the house straightened up and getting the lawn mowed and getting the garage cleaned out. Just getting up and getting done and getting going. Let me tell you something. It is not faith. And we're a faith church, right? Everybody say, we're a faith church. It's not faith to procrastinate. It's not faith to procrastinate about our daily duties. And Zacharias knew what he was supposed to do and he just he got up and did it. He's believing God. He needed a miracle. Things hadn't gone like he thought. In fact, he had gotten to the point where he had stumbled a little bit in his faith. Where it was, but he had believed God at one time and he had prayed and, and he had sought God for this child. And boy, the years had wore on, but he's still just getting up and doing what he's supposed to do. He's still just getting up and going through his duties. Going, doing it. Doing the right thing. Turning his heart towards God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, I'm a faith person. I don't procrastinate. Hallelujah. You know, when you don't procrastinate, one reason it's faith is this, is because you say, well, I'll do that today because God might use me tomorrow. I'll get it done. God might need me tomorrow. I'll get this done. God might want to bless me tomorrow. You know, how many times if we needed to bake cookies for the school or something and we procrastinated and procrastinated and procrastinated to the point where God couldn't use us and God couldn't bless us. And, you know, somebody says, can you go out to lunch with me today? Can't go. Got to go bake cookies. Uh-oh, God wanted to bless you. Or go, God can't, don't even, he don't even bother to ask. Go here and do this for me because, well, you couldn't do it. You got to go bake cookies for the school. And you waited till the very last minute. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all still love me. Number two, excellence. Excellence gets God's attention. A spirit of excellence. The Bible says Daniel had a spirit of excellence about him. Verse 23, look at verse 23 here. In, verse, in chapter 1, uh, And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. Now this is right following having just seen an angel, just had a visitation from an angel. Just had a visitation from an angel. And here's the spirit of excellence in operation. How many of us would have like, oh my God, I can't work now. I just saw an angel. Man, I got to go tell everybody. I got to get on the phone. Send all day on the phone. Got to run and tell three people. Just saw an angel. Just had a visitation. Just hallelujah. But no, he just keeps, here's Zacharias. He just keeps doing the duties. Just keeps on doing his duties. Just had an angelic visitation. Just had this big supernatural thing happen. He just kept on working. Number three, something else that gets God's attention, bold faith. Bold faith gets God's attention. Bold faith. Boy, I tell you, God wakes up when somebody gets bold with their faith. We got lots of examples in the Word of God with that. Hallelujah. How about the woman with the issue of blood? You know, we, we, we kind of emphasize a lot how Jesus didn't even see her coming, didn't even know she was coming. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't even know it was happening until it was over. But I'll tell you something, there was somebody that knew it was happening. God the Father knew it was happening. God the Father saw her coming. He saw her coming. He saw that bold faith coming. Woo, I tell you. Thank you, Jesus. How about um, the ten lepers that were standing over to the side when Jesus walked by and they start hollering? How many, how many sick people today wouldn't, would say, oh, I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to look at me. 
And they're over there hollering, bold faith. And blind Bartimaeus, he's sitting there with that beggar's robe on, and he's heard of Jesus, and he starts hollering, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he starts hollering and hollering and hollering. Bold faith. You know, we got the stuff here at Word of Life Church. We just need some folks with some bold faith to draw it out. It's all here already. We're not waiting on God to do something. We're waiting on some people to get some bold faith to get out and pull on it. Amen? Uh, number four, getting God's attention. How to get God's attention? Persistent prayer gets God's attention. It's not, it's not the elaborate, eloquent prayer that gets God's attention so much as it is that persistent prayer that gets God's attention. And that's one thing that Zacharias and Elizabeth had. There in verse 13, we know that they had prayed and that they were consistent and persistent in their prayers because one of the first things the angel Gabriel said to Zacharias is, Thy prayer is heard. Thy prayer is heard. Persistent prayer gets God's attention. And we have other examples in the Word of God. How about Hannah? Her prayer was so persistent, so passionate that it got God's attention. We have such lifeless, limp prayers. And the prayers that get God's attention, they're persistent and they're passionate. Not eloquent, but passionate. Oh, God help me. Oh, you know, and heartfelt. I tell you, I, I know I've proved this in my life. There's been two, or, I pray all the time, but there's been a two or three times when I got God to move fast. I mean, I got him to move fast. But I'm telling you, I, one time I remember, it hadn't been that long ago, I fell down across the bed and I, it's like, and I mean, I was passionate. I didn't think what to say. I didn't care what, hallelujah, passionate, persistent prayer gets God's attention. Thy prayers heard Cornelius, another man. He wasn't, he wasn't even Jewish. He wasn't even in the right, he wasn't the right, he was a heathen. He was, he was Gentile to them. And God, his prayers got, so got God's attention that God gave Peter a vision and then spoke to him and said, go to Cornelius' house to get him saved, give him the message of the salvation. And when Peter got there, he, I mean, I know he was like, wow. He said, Cornelius. Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Prayer, persistent prayer, gets God's attention. It don't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, what you are. When you pray persistently, you're going to get God moving in your behalf. Amen? To get you the information you need. Number four, good deeds to others gets God's attention. Good deeds to others gets God's attention. We saw that with Cornelius. It said not only his prayers... I had come up as a memorial before God, but his alms, that alms are deeds and gifts to the poor. Alms are deeds and gifts to the poor or the needy. And they had come up as a memorial before God. Psalm 37, 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. Doing good things, doing good deeds, heartfelt, doing it from the heart, that gets God's attention. Number five, consistency gets God's attention repetitively doing the right thing, just as we talked about with Zacharias, repetitively over, how many of us are just like, you know, we're good for about three times and then we're, th we're through. 
But no, repetitively doing the right thing. Consistency gets God's attention. The Bible says in Galatians, don't be weary in well-doing. We could say this, we could say it this way. Do not be weary in repetitively doing the right thing. Do not be weary in repetitively over and over and over and over for a year, for two years, for 20 years doing the right thing. Don't get weary in doing that. Number six, the thing that gets God's faith is a spirit of faith. A spirit of faith gets God's attention. He, a, a spirit of faith is, we know it's in Corinthians, it says is the spirit of faith is, uh, I believe, therefore I spoke. So spirit of faith believes and speaks. But here's what it is to summarize it up to you. A spirit of faith, someone that has a spirit of faith, approaches every situation in faith. If the car breaks down, they don't have a 30-minute breakdown themselves where they throw a few wrenches and say a few choice words and... Or maybe if you're more righteous than that, a little more right than that, you don't. Maybe you go through some sort of feel sorry for yourself. And why does this happen today? And I don't have time for this. And and then you get onto the kids and you know, and yell at them a few times. And because you're in stress and you're stressed out, but the spirit of faith doesn't do that. A spirit of faith says God's going to work this out. Praise God, it's going to work out. God's going to move in this situation. Hallelujah. Praise God. Lord, what do I do? You know, and the spirit of faith approaches it from, and it's more than just having a positive attitude. It's based on the promises of God. A positive attitude is not based on anything. But a, but, but a spirit of faith is based on the promises of God and His promises in our life. Amen. And that gets God's attention. 2 Corinthians 4.13, if you're looking for that scripture, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Amen. Number seven, seventh thing that gets God's attention is expectation. If you expect something from God, you're going to get something from God. If you expect Him to help you get out of a situation, He'll help you get out. If you expect Him to show up, He shows up. Amen. What you expect, you get. I was reading a sermon on the internet, the, and, and it said, uh, well, actually, no, pastor would tell me about it. He read it on the internet, and the sermon was somebody, somebody nationally well-known. They said, don't expect to fail. Somebody that every church in town is following after that ministry, nearly every church in town, he said, expect to fail. Expect to fail. Hallelujah. Well, I'm not going to expect to fail. I'm not going to expect to fail. I'm going to expect God to show up. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Look in verse 15. We need to have an attitude of I'm going to get the things I prayed for. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get the things I prayed for. Hallelujah. We need to have that attitude. Number, verse 15. Are you all there? For he shall be great... This is, a, this is speaking of John the Baptist. We're going to change directions just a little bit, but still talking about John the Baptist. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared 
for the Lord. Right here, we see the call of John the Baptist. We see his call. What is he called to do? The thing he was called to do, John the Baptist, was make a people ready. Make people ready, prepared for the Lord. He was called to prepare things. He was called to go ahead and make, make ready, to prepare, to get things prepared. And uh, right here, in this, this is actually a quote from a couple of places in the Old Testament. If you'll hold your hand there in Luke and go over to Malachi, uh, there's, actually this is a quote from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. In Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And Kevin was singing about suddenly this morning. Suddenly, because things were prepared. Suddenly, because things are already prepared. And then Malachi 4, if you would, look in verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Over in Luke now, where we saw the primary ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare a people for the Lord. And then Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6, we see something so important. And that is that if John the Baptist had not come and prepared the people for Jesus, then it would have been a curse that Jesus came instead of a blessing. That's what he said there. Did you see verse 5? And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. It would have been a curse for Jesus to come instead of a blessing. And let's talk about why for a minute. Well, first of all, you have to realize that Jesus suffered a lot of rejection, but most of all of that rejection was from the religious leaders of that day. The common people accepted Jesus. The common people accepted him, and he had a lot of acceptance from the common people, and he had that because John the Baptist had prepared the way. John the Baptist had gone forth preaching a sermon of repentance. He had preached a sermon for them to get right with God, turn their hearts back to God, uh, begin to be uh, sensitive to God again, begin to love God again. And um, he preached this sermon and got the people ready, these sermons, over a period of months and years, a year or so. And he preached these things and he got them ready. But let's just say he hadn't come. If he hadn't come, and let's say no one had received Jesus... And they'd crucified him just like they did. Well, there would have been no one to show up on the day of Pentecost. There would be no church. If no one had showed up on the day of Pentecost, there'd be no church today. No body of Christ, no church. They would have, received, they would have rejected him. And this would have been the second time, that, that second son. And I don't know, would God have sent a third son? He had Adam, then he had Jesus. Would he have done it a third time? Probably not. It would have been a curse instead of a blessing. But God sent John the Baptist, and he did it. He did it. He did it. He prepared the way. He prepared the people. You know, we can take these principles right here, and we can apply it to our own lives, in our, even as we minister to people. How many times 
do we not prepare the way before we minister to people? How many times do we share Jesus and, and, and ask them, would they like to invite Jesus into their heart? And they say no, because we're trying to harvest immediately and nobody's prepared the way. Now, sometimes you do get to harvest immediately, but when you get to harvest immediately, it's usually because somebody has been there before you preparing the way in their hearts. How many times do wives of unbelieving husbands get excited about God and go home and say, you don't come to church with me? And they go, no. And then that wife hadn't prepared the way. And she's trying to get a harvest before she ever prepared the soil, before she planted the seed. And a wise woman knows how to plant seed and, and bide her time and prepare the way and plant the seed and nurture the seed. You know, we were farmers, and you had to prepare the soil. And if you were going into a farm that had never been farmed before, it was a lot to do to prepare the soil. Well, I mean, I've seen pastor take a piece of virgin land that had never been farmed before, and, and you know, he, they would get big old caterpillars out there and start dragging sand dunes down out there and, and sometimes they'd find old barbed wire fence and fence under all those sand dunes and everything and then they'd take rock pickers and they'd go out and pick the rocks out of the land and then you know and then you're just getting started and then you gotta in west texas you gotta water before you can plant before you can plant the soil before you can even throw up beds you have to water to throw up beds or you gotta have a rain and so, you know, you got to have that water, and then you got to throw up the beds, and then you're ready. Then you're just now ready to put a seed in the ground. Amen? And that's the way it was with churches. I mean, you come into town, you're going to have instant success. No, probably you're going to have to prepare the soil. You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to prepare the soil. You're going to have to pray. Praying prepares the soil. Ministry takes time, folks. Ministry takes time. Hallelujah. It takes time to uh, win a husband. First, you've got to prepare the soil. You know? You've got to treat him nice when he acts like a heathen. Because that's what he is. Amen? Isn't that what the Bible says to do? Amen? You know, the Bible says Paul planted, Paulos water, God gave the increase. Life changes are not just a one-time encounter. The soil of hearts has to be prayer. The seed has to be sown. Walls need to be pulled down in prayer. How many times do we go in and try to harvest on somebody and we hadn't even prayed? Hallelujah. We'd get better results, wouldn't we? You know, and that brings me to something. You know, thinking about, you know, guests, we have guest ministers in. And I'm not trying to steal any thunder this morning, but I think we should all understand this. We have guest ministers come in, and sometimes we're like, oh, my Lord, they're the way, the truth, and the life. Wasn't that good? Oh, that was awesome. Oh, that was good. I mean, look at the harvest. Look at the things that were done. But that evangelist or that minister that comes in, he'd be stupid to think that was his harvest. That's not his harvest. Who? That's that pastor's harvest. That's not his harvest. It's that pastor that's prayed and prepared. And what about those little old ladies that come and pray and meet at the church and they pray every week? They are the ones preparing. They're the ones. That, that, that evangelist just comes in and he just, he, he could just about say, by the time the, you know, when, when you get that soil prepared just right, 
When you get that harvest prepared just right, you can just about say anything and win the lost. They just about ask you. And I'm not discounting evangelist ministry. I mean, we have to have it and we need it and it's powerful. But they're just harvesters. And sometimes we just exalt the wrong thing. I mean, I want to tell you something. When we start passing out rewards in heaven, when God does, the evangelist is going to be way back at the end of the line. The harvesters are. And you know who's going to be right up front? It's going to be those little old ladies in the church. They're going to be up there getting their reward because they prepared the way. They prepared the soil. They prayed. They sowed. They cried through the years, down through the years. Hallelujah. And sometimes we show up and we, you know, sometimes we're too quick to take the glory. We go to the grocery store and we say something to somebody and they say, yes, I want to receive Jesus. And we think, oh man, aren't I good? Ooh, I'm hot. But we forget grandma prayed for 35 years for that person. We forget mama cried and prayed for 35 years. Well, maybe not that long, but anyway. Hallelujah. We forget the preparers. And John the Baptist, he was a preparer. He prepared the way, and Jesus couldn't have done what he did if John the Baptist hadn't done what he did. John the Baptist was an awesome man. John the Baptist had an awesome ministry. And John the Baptist, uh, a lot of people couldn't do the ministry of John the Baptist because they want to be the limelight. They want to be in the glory. And he's the one that he wasn't seen that much. In fact, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. He said, I'm not worthy to untie the, his shoe. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of name ministers in this world that got, they got, you say, oh, they've won 40,000 people to the Lord and they ain't worthy to unlatch the shoe of some of these little old ladies that have prayed and prepared the way. They aren't. Hallelujah. Those preparers are important. And it's important for you to be a preparer, for you to prepare in your prayers and prepare the way for people's lives. It's important for you to be a seed sower and for you to be a seed water. Amen. And not worry so much about the harvest, but just do what we're called to do. Did you know we are a whole generation of John the Baptist. When Jesus came this first time, God only had one preparer, and that was John the Baptist. But now he's got a whole world full of preparers that what are we doing? We're preparing the way because Jesus is fixing to come again for the second time. And that's what our job is right now is to prepare the way. Amen. Prepare the way. Get people prepared. Begin sowing that seed. Begin actively sowing the seed. Begin actively watering the seed. Begin actively praying and, and, and praying that, getting that soil prepared. And some of us have loved ones that we need to do more time preparing and less time talking to them. What you do in private will get more done. I know Brother Hagen always taught us that... You can't win your own kin folks anyway. They won't listen to you. They won't listen to you. But and it's a rare there is a rare occasion that sometimes one of them does every once in a while. But for the most part, they don't listen to you. You'd be better off to shut your mouth and love them. Just keep your mouth shut. And you know, if every once in a while you get to drop a little seed in the ground, <laughs> Amen. Water a little seed. 
drop a little word of encouragement and water the seed and pray and prepare. And then one day somebody will walk up to them. Somebody will walk up to them and suddenly, 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 hallelujah. And it'll be your prayers. It'll be your, you have that same spirit of John the Baptist. Prepare the way. The God's message to us today is prepare the way. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Jesus is going to come back again. He could come. He could come soon. It could be three years. It could be three years from this past September. It could be 40 years from 1968 is what? 1967. I said 1968. 1967 is what? It's 2007. years. That I mean, it could be. Might. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All the prophecies are fulfilled for Jesus to show up again. He wants us to prepare the way. Amen. You have that spirit on you of being John the Baptist. Let's do these things we know to do. Let's get God's attention. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together today. Glory to God.